Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's a weird one. We are talking about David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. It's our first time covering a Cronenberg movie, and uh, we had a lot of fun trying to figure out puzzle pieces for this one. Joining me is uh, film writer and lecturer Alex Cronenberg. Uh, Cronenberg, Cronenberg, uh, you know, that's, uh, wow. Uh, but Alex Cronenberg is his first time on the show, and uh, we had a, a great talk. We got a lot of great puzzle pieces on this one, and that's coming up in a second. Before we get to the conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can, of course, find us on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, all the major podcast apps. And if you like what we're doing, hit the five-star button. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And before we get to the conversation, I do also want to remind you, we have a Patreon. As a matter of fact, this episode's going up on the Patreon as soon as I finish exporting it. And uh, it will come out whenever the film ends up on a regular rental. Right now, it's one of those $20 premium rentals. I'm going to wait till it hits regular rental and then post this one on the main feed. But if you're one of my patrons, you get to listen to it now, along with a lot of other advance and bonus content from piecing it together as well as awesome movie year and from my music career so check it out it's patreon.com slash by david rosen the produced by david rosen patreon now let's talk about crimes of the future all right we are going to attempt to piece together crimes of the future today the new david cronenberg movie uh enjoying me to talk about it is Alex Cronenberg, a film lecturer and writer, and it's his first time on the show. Alex, how's it going? Uh, absolutely fantastic. What a pleasure it is to be on the show. Well, I'm happy to have you. I, I think we're going to have fun today. This is uh, this is going to be such a strange movie to talk about, but uh, <laughs> we, we'll get to it in, in good time. It is your first time on the show. Why don't you tell my listeners a little about you and what you do? Sure, yeah. I've been um, lettering about film at various institutions in the UK for about 10 years now and writing and freelancing mainly about horror for a range of different sites in the UK um, for about eight of those years and, and podcasting as well with various kind of friends and contributors and horror fans and um, yeah, just love talking 
about film with fellow um, fanatics, really. So this should be a really interesting piece. I don't know how we're going to fare, to be honest, David, but we'll we'll give it a go. We're gonna we're gonna give it uh, our our best here for sure. And uh, is Cronenberg, uh, you know, one of your one of your favorites? Like, I mean, as a as a namesake, I mean, you know, who in the horror community doesn't love David Cronenberg? But I mean, are you a big fan? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been fascinated. I think it probably did start by the fact that you know I'd look on my dad's vhs and well probably would have been vhs shelves when i was a kid and i could see my name there and i was like oh is this guy related to us like <laughs> sure uh, and then i watched his films and i thought i hope he's not related to us um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so yeah but the first my first kind of engagement with him was probably existence in 99 i think it was that sounds right and and i absolutely loved it and then kind of like worked my way back but i think the fly was always was one of the later ones i watched only because my my mom or my mom uh, was like (laughs) absolutely like terrified of it and and used to kind of say to me do not go near that film like that film is kind of evil and uh you'll you'll never look at um jeff goldblum the same way again and so um that was one of the later ones that i came into contact with yeah his films do have a a certain uh element to them where you're like trying to imagine how the generation before us like took them in and like you know they, they must have thought it was just so completely insane and now we're maybe a little more used to uh things that push the envelope and try all kinds of weird stuff and have like interesting unique worldviews and of course the gore and horror elements of it all but uh it, it must have been just uh nuts to experience this stuff firsthand when it was coming out yeah, and we, you know, now we, we kind of get glimpses of things before we even come into contact with them. We we hear things online and we see kind of hints that something's going to be outrageous. And But, but you know, my, my mom and dad's generation, they just went in, they went into a film completely cold. They didn't really know what was going to happen sure. or what, what terrifying scenes they were about to see. So that must have been so shocking to see some of those things that they'd never imagined, you know, it wouldn't have been in their wildest nightmares to then actually see it come to screen and... I think that must have been exhilarating. I, I kind of wish that we could go back to that kind of like complete darkness and go into stuff completely cold because I can't remember the last time that I really did that, to be honest. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, especially with the rise of streaming, it's like, you know, you just, it's just all there. And, you know, <laughs> streaming and social media and all of it, like it's all there, which are, you know, possibly themes that we'll get into while talking about this movie. But, um, I think we'll probably end up talking about a lot of Cronenberg along the way, but let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. What do you have for your first one? So obviously I've kind of like structured mine with, with Cronenberg first of all. Sure. And so the first one, as I've mentioned already is existence. Sure. I think that is like, it could be within the same universe, these two films, like this could be in the future, like in a future um, within the existence kind of like universe. Um so the film focuses on on gaming in this sense, less on art, which Crimes of the Future is very much focused on art and sure. high art. And this one's focused on like gaming and how gaming has advanced to the point that humans biologically connect with consoles and then enter some sort of virtual reality and go into like a, a comatose state whilst they're experiencing this game. Um, but, but they're very, very similar themes. Aesthetically, they look very, very similar. You know, a lot of the technology that you see in crimes has almost been lifted and expanded upon mm-hmm. from existence. Yeah. Um, 
that organic like spinal it's like skin stretched over mechanics it's yeah. like it's it's really unusual and unique that chair is freaking weird oh that chair yeah that chair. <laughs> i've never seen anything like that before in my life and i, I spent half the film trying to f- understand what the purpose of the chair was yeah um and now i kind of want one <laughs> yeah i mean it, it seems very comforting so yeah yeah definitely yeah <laughs> getting a hug while you're eating your dinner <laughs> uh, <laughs> But the, you know, even the way in which the characters interact with that technology, it's like caressing, you know, he's got like a module or like almost a pad in which he controls a surgical unit. Yeah. And he caresses it and he prods it and he treats it as if it's like a creature. And that's very, very similar in existence is about kind of like that line between machine and living organism is really explored and expanded upon in in Crimes of the Future. Um, and you also have kind of themes of rebellion and terrorism and, and, and putting a stop to advancement or changes within society. And I think those themes are very, very present in crimes and existence. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I would, you know, not that I'm up for shared universes or like kind of like cinematic universes, but I would be so fascinated if Cronenberg came out and said, Oh no! This is all the part of the same, yeah, you know, uh, same sort of world, and I, I'd be like, hmm, let's see where that goes. Yeah. It, it's interesting, and like it, it goes to existence, and it goes to I'm sure some of the other pieces we're going to talk about, but it, it has both uh, an extremely negative and a somewhat slightly positive view of that convergence of of machines and humans and the organic and the the technical, and and uh, so it, it's. It's definitely something that I think he's like constantly wanting to explore. And obviously the the past 10 years or so, he's been kind of off to a tangent doing these other kinds of films, but certainly these are things that he's, you know, been doing for many, many years. My first puzzle piece, I only have one Cronenberg on my list. Uh, and I think it goes right along nicely with existence. And that's Videodrome from 1983. Um, you know, you, you got your video games in there. We got videotapes here and we've got, you know, again, the convergence of humanity and technology and uh, the advancements in technology where we could potentially end up going and just how like messed up we could we could get ourselves as we continue to uh, go down that path, which is all happening. Like, yeah, this is all like sci-fi and weird and just kind of big ideas. But at the same time, there's so much of it that is happening and and is going in that direction. I think that, you know, also, you know, bringing in the body horror, there's, you know, there's has been touted as, you know, his return to body horror, uh, Crimes of the Future. And, you know, you get some very similar uh, disturbing imagery in Videodrome that, you know, kind of uses body horror in the same kind of way. Uh, so you've got that too. Um, and I feel like, you know, you starting off with existence. I mean, these three are like almost like a clear path. I feel like between them. Uh, and then the other thing that I feel like, uh, would connect it with something like Videodrome, uh, is the big quotable moments, obviously long live the new flesh in there. And here it's surgery is the new sex. Um, you know, is Mm. like such a clear, like mission statement sort of, but also just like a quotable that, you know, can easily be at the beginning of every review. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I also love, I also love that line. Um, I'm not very good at the old sex. Yes, was, that's was, another I good a, one. I had, little, I had a little giggle at that. Um, and uh, yeah, I would definitely. I would say that we've got like the, the corner pieces of that puzzle now because I think 
those three, and perhaps the one that I mentioned next, are, are certainly in there. Like them, they're, they're just part of the same thread. And I, I'm really interested about the fact that he's come back to body horror now after a long time away from that. And he's got some great stuff. I love all of his reflective stuff on America and um, history of violence and um, uh, map of stars and cosmopolis and all that. I think they're fantastic, but I'm, I'm happy to see him back firmly yeah. in the genre that made me love him in the first place. Yeah. And by the way, this, I read that this was writ- written in the nineties um, and it's just a script that was laying dormant. So even though there are things that, you know, I, one thing that I was thinking, you know, and I feel like anybody would think this is that, you know, living through the current pandemic, like probably brought this kind of a story to mind, but it is something that was already, uh, you know, kicking around in his mind for many, many years before. So I think the fact that it shares some threads with these other ones that he was doing back then in the, in the eighties and into the nineties, um, also makes sense. Well, yeah, and it just goes to show how much of like a lasting director he is. He's he, he's so forward thinking. Like these films are an ever present and and are incredibly relevant now and will be for the next however long. You know, he's a he's great. I, I'm a big I'm a big fan. Sure. Um. So my next my next puzzle piece then leading on to that will probably be uh, the Brood, mm-hmm. 1979. Um. So another Cronenberg. And the reason why I've gone for this one, you know, other than maybe Crash and some of the others that maybe fit a bit, a bit neat, a bit more neat, is that I like the the line of parenting. It kind of like has like a comment on parenting in both of these films. Mm. So um, within the Brood, obviously, I think it's a very angry film because he's going through. I think I think I remember reading he was going through a pretty nasty divorce at the time mm. uh, and so he wants to make this film about kind of like family and, and broken family and stuff so that film itself showed this maternal relationship with a daughter which is abusive and physically and emotionally abusive and then you have the father who's, who's um, the father of the mother in film quite confusing <laughs> um, and, and he kind of turns a blind eye to the abuse and doesn't really get involved um, and I also think the crimes reflects that as well. Like we have a mother right in the first five minutes, and what a what a shocking scene that is, where sure. she she uh, kills her a young son, um, in quite a visceral and hard to watch scene. I thought yeah, it, was, it was quite a tough one. Um, and then we've got a father who's obviously quite absent, and she rings him and calls him and tells him that she's killed him, and the reactions are unusual not not what you would expect um he kind of goes and just calmly like kind of covers the boy up and um and he's obviously an absent father that only kind of arrives when when his when his son's passed away sure um so there are those themes of kind of like um absenteeism um isolation within parenting i think that's really interesting to explore with with cronenberg and he never presents these relationships in a kind of like warm and cozy way. It's a, it, it, it's, it's not the most kind of like pleasant family atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement, but uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen the brood. It's one of, one of the many Cronenberg movies. I actually, you know, is on my, my long catch up list, but still like those, those family and generational aspects of, of the story, like, 
that is something that, you know, maybe isn't as present in something like Videodrome or, or existence. So certainly like dealing with, with that kind of element of this kind of story, um, certainly it's a good, uh, a good one to bring up here. I'm going to take it away from Cronenberg for a second here and go with the dominant part of the film culture at the moment, superhero movies and the X-Men series. Um, these people in the future in this this strange I, I don't know if it's necessarily uh soon you know or further down the line but people are starting to mutate they're starting to uh have these new evolutions as human beings uh the the main crux of the story is on them growing new organs and not no longer feeling pain there's all kinds of weird stuff some of which are elements of what could make up some of the mutants in an X-Men, you know, story. Uh, also with the government, you know, wanting to either control or study or stop them or, you know, there, there's always some kind of like government agency after these mutants and uh, these people that are exhibiting these new kinds of like weird powers and abilities and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully Cronenberg's not going to be making a superhero movie anytime soon, but at the same time, it, it's kind of hard not to look at what's happening around us and, you know, uh, bring a little bit of it into it to what you're working on. Wasn't the fly a superhero movie? Right? I, I guess it was in a way. Yeah, <laughs> similar to Spider Man. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree. It was on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just that that kind of uh, restriction of evolution and trying to um, monitor uh, and keep track of uh, of this kind of new mutant or evolved species and then that battle between the old humans and the new humans i think that it's all present yeah. it's all present in crimes definitely completely agree absolutely what do you got for your next one so i'm sorry to pull it back to cronenberg but i'm gonna go for brandon cronenberg mm. um so his son um antivirus and i don't know how much david would be influenced or inspired by his son or how that works like kind of like both ways and that's that's quite an interesting thing but antivirus is a really unusual as you can imagine from from his son unusual film uh, for 2012 and it focuses on like um celebrity and how uh people become so obsessed with celebrities that they want to purchase a disease or an illness or a condition that yeah. celebrity has and contract it and take it on. I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen it? I have, and I, I, I was sitting there like thinking, like, how could I fit Possessor into this conversation? And I didn't, but I completely forgot about Antivira. Like that is a great piece. It really does kind of fit with what uh, he's exploring here. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I like that um, conversation about um, how people become famous. I think um, in Antivar, it's just like people don't need a reason to be famous. They're just famous. Yeah. Um, but in crimes, they're like a guy literally grows ears all over his body and, and like sews his mouth shut and people are kind of deriding him a little bit and being sure. like, oh, there's no depth. There's no depth to that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's quite interesting. Like it's quite hard to get fame in that world, but in, in the antiviral world of the modern contemporary world, it's much easier. <laughs> um, but there is, there is actually a line in antiviral where I think that can't be coincidence like that. I wonder whether David has taken that and, and ran with that a little bit. And it's um, the main character, the protagonist, is in a line of queue to get into work. And one of his friends or his colleagues is commenting on a, a celebrity and how um, 
how lucrative that celebrity might be. And he says um, that the celebrity has a unique non-functional organ connected to a urinary system. Like that is <laughs> that that's basically soul, isn't it? Is it is it not? It's basically what's happening in this film. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that's maybe maybe Brandon got his hand on the screenplay. Yeah. Uh, we know the screenplay was written 20 years ago. Maybe Brandon read it and was like, this is interesting. You know, uh, I don't know, but there, there definitely is. There, there must be a connection there between the two. But yeah, um, it, it's all about obsession, about obsession, about what our bodies can do um, if we manipulate them, if we allow them to go their own way and don't don't intervene at all. And the, the similar threads from, from father and son there. So the apple doesn't... Doesn't fall far from the tree, does it really? Right. No, absolutely. And yeah, that's a great piece. And I, I feel like uh, it, it would be just the best thing if we could one day get like a, a roundtable like talk, like a podcast or something, just the two of them just talking about these ideas and figuring it out. I, I actually like don't know. I haven't like watched interviews or anything like that, like how David feels about his son's movies like i have to assume he he enjoys them what, what he's been doing but i don't know oh it must it's not like brandon's gone on and made kind of something completely unrelated to to david's work but it, but maybe that makes it harder for david to be a critic i don't know it's a really sure. interesting I, i'd love to see i'd love to hear that podcast david so set it up I, I will uh, I will moderate. I am happy to do that. <laughs> um, I will go. I, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to bring up a documentary uh, for my next puzzle piece from 2007. My kid could paint that, um, which was an interesting documentary that like deals with like you know like what even is art, what qualifies as art, and you know you were just talking about the guy with the ears all over him and how everybody's kind of like turning up their noses at it like like oh, that's that's you know what is that that's not even like anything you know and and so it just made me think of that that uh you know that documentary and and how it's like just this idea of like the, the pretentious side of the art world and what actually qualifies and what is just somebody just doing stuff like just throwing paint at a board and like oh is that really art and uh that does seem to be like kind of some of the central stuff going on with with not only the characters, but I feel like Cronenberg is dealing with that as well here. Like, I, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of meta-ness to it of like, you know, uh, you know, getting older and questioning, you know, his uh, impact in the world and, you know, what his stories are saying and uh, whether, you know, whether he still wants to tell these kind of stories, whether he feels uh, he has had a positive impact and done some interesting things. And so like just the idea of what is art and what qualifies as art. I, I thought that was a really great documentary back when it came out. I haven't seen it since it came out, but um, it, it was a, a really fascinating and interesting one. I don't think I've seen that one. No, I don't. I don't know that one off the top of my head. It sounds. It sounds fascinating, though. Yeah, need to check it out. It's 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 a cool one. It's definitely. Uh, I'd recommend that. Uh, what do you have for your next one? Yeah, I mean, just to, I, I would probably. I'm going to skip ahead then on my list because I feel like one of these fit perfectly with what you were just saying mm -hmm. um is uh the house that jack built lars von trier in 2018 yeah which you've just hit the nail on the head really about about that question of art there are so many conversations in this film about what consists of art how do we justify what we're making um and and you know is it for entertainment is it for enlightenment how does it benefit society there are all these questions when when 
discussing art and uh, and they talk about it a lot in the film um especially uh Leah Sidhu's character has a lot to say about it and she seems to do most of the justification for their performance art um but yeah so the house of jack built it, I, I feel like these films are very interesting i don't know i with cronenberg he's such like a maestro that i almost can't imagine him being inspired by anything i almost feel like his <laughs> yeah. head is just this like yeah like a melting pot of crazy lunacy this is like um, the second just, episode in a month that i've i've had yeah. this issue like we just did phil Tippett's mad god and i'm like what what inspired that you know like nothing really inspired it it's just just his own thoughts and you know yeah but he must i, I guess he, he he's a human being he must see stuff he must like look at whatever and and kind of be provoked or inspired or whatever so i'm sure maybe he did come across Lars von trier and, and he did watch the house of jack built and that film is a similar thing where Jack, the serial killer in the film, views his murders as um, serving a higher purpose. He's mm -hmm. creating a masterpiece. Um, he's putting together a philosophy that society will look back on and perhaps he's bettered society with his murders. And he talks a lot in that about art and about like society and shines a light back on society from his own murders. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, begs that question: like, can artwork be inherently evil? Can what you create be evil? Or if you're observing it as an audience, does that mean say something about you? And I think mean, like mm. all these questions are very, very interesting. And I think it probably are ones that Cronenberg is interested in because why performance artists? What you know why base it in the high art world this yeah. film because there's no other reason to do that apart from ask some questions and um and, and poke poke that itch a little bit yeah so so i think crimes tackles a lot of those questions i think whilst jack feels is commenting on society and and helping it saul Viggo mortensen's character almost refuses to act sure. and uses uses his art as a pause button so he can remove the organ mm. and it stops that evolution uh, and really what he needs to do was to stop his performance art let the evolution take place and and then he becomes part of something bigger yeah um which i think is really interesting and it's it is almost in parallel with with the house that jack built um which i know has its haters and um, but i actually I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a, a good film. Yeah, that that uh, intersection. You know, there, there's so many things intersecting in in this movie, but that intersection with art and violence and uh, and yeah, that that's such a, a major drive of the story and and of what's being explored here. And yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, I, I'm going to go with a, uh, a curveball here uh, while we're talking about the art world. Uh, and I am going to use Zoolander as a puzzle piece. Um, you know, what? <laughs> talking about the pretentious art world and just all these like weird artist parties and all like the oddballs that show up to them. But most of all, the, the real reason I wanted to include Zoolander on this, even though it, it might seem like a ridiculous piece, is we haven't talked about Kristen Stewart yet, who I feel like is the best part of the movie. She's just so interesting, her performance. Like, I, I just, I love what she's doing here. Um, and 
all of the uh, interactions between Kristen Stewart and Whippet are just so weird and strained and like all these like stares and half spoken lines and weird like line delivery reminds me of Mugatu and his assistant Todd. If you remember the way that they would like <laughs> talk at each other with little grunts and like, you know, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I had to include it on my list. <laughs> I never expected Zoolander <laughs> to come up in this conversation. Um, but I, I have a theory about Kristen Stewart's performance, which is probably even more kind of weird, okay. which I'll come on to later on. Um, yeah, but it's certainly out there. It's, it, you know, even the way she holds herself is so uncomfortable. You just want to like, Shake her, loosen up. She, she's just Stop a it. mess in this. And uh, yeah, an another performance that it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, um, I wasn't going to use it as a puzzle piece, but Kiefer Sutherland in uh, Dark City. Um, also just like another like weirdo, like in a sci-fi, you know? Like she's just very strange and, and I just love how she's delivering her lines. It's just really interesting stuff, mm. you know? She 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 acts it very well because I think that character is obviously like completely conflicted and doesn't know how to present herself and yeah. is fascinated by this world and 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 turned on by it and and completely like obsessed and you know wants to wants to be a part of it probably wants to be cut and you know who knows what happened to her in the sure. name of sex and science and all things unholy so um i think she exudes all of that with like quite an interesting restraint even that whisper i think is a i like i'm a, I'm a fan of Kristen stewart actually i think she's i think she's pretty awesome yeah she's great um, great one i did not think that was <laughs> enough. um <laughs> uh, so my next uh my next piece then uh from 90 i think there's like lots of 99 or the 90s in this as um is the matrix so the wachowskis sure one of my favorite films of all time um and i think that i would imagine i think there are too many parallels for david not to have seen this david cronenberg not to have seen this and been thinking about the same issues that they were uh, i think it's quite widely kind of talked about that the matrix is an allegory for trans um trans rights sure um um people being able to express themselves and shift their identity and david cronenberg himself has kind of commented on this in the media and said that well although this was written 20 years ago um he feels like it's a bit of a roundabout and um that, that talk about that question of who controls women's bodies who controls the bodies of transgender people i'm quoting here who controls the bodies of transgender people it's like are you allowed to do that can the government actually tell you what to do with your body or not mm. even if it doesn't affect anybody else it becomes a kind of hot button so he said that himself recently in interviews about about crimes and i think the matrix was one of the first films to openly um address those questions and offer a hand of support to many trans people who were closeted who, who felt like they couldn't be who they were who, who they felt that they were on the inside yeah and um gave them representation um and i think even at the time maybe when it came out it wasn't as apparent as it is now but um you had characters such as uh switch i think the character's called who was originally written um to be uh female on the in the matrix and the male um in the real world mm, yeah um so that was the original character switch and then they changed that round um i think they were told to by the um 
by the producers to change that um to have both characters a switch although switch doesn't does come across as kind of um um with without agenda um and doesn't really kind of uh, assigned to any gender sure that's, that's really interesting as well um and so that film really plays with those ideas uh, and crimes does the same um and, and asking those questions about does the government own our bodies does the government have a right to track us to, to label us and, and um stop us from being who we want to be um and it's kind of sad and i think he's exactly he's absolutely right david Cronenberg is saying that these questions shouldn't still be a question yeah but they are and i think that's why the timing of this film's release is so amazing is that he's had this film for 20 years and he's come back to it and thought my word this is this is this is still happening right now i need to get this out i need to have a voice on this on this topic and that's absolutely fantastic i really really admire that um especially i guess for a man of his age because you know it's easy to get older and not be in touch with the world, I suppose. But he, but he still is still got his still got his finger on the pulse, um, which is which is great. So, I see a lot of similarities with the Matrix. I see a lot of the same kind of even design. And there's a, a piece of equipment that Kristen Stewart uses to um, look at the inside of of Saul's body, sure. and it looks exactly like the equipment that they used to extract the bug from Neo in the back of the car. Yeah um the guy in the the guy who sews his mouth shut is very similar to neo and uh, where his mouth kind of fuses together and he can't open it so there are a lot of aesthetic um similarities even like the televisions and the text on the televisions um it looks like he's really like um playing with that um with the aesthetic of the matrix and the matrix trilogy so the wachowski is a, a feel um were a powerful force when he was thinking about how should i how should i portray these images in this world yeah and and definitely the wachowskis i i think hugely influenced by you know the earlier works of cronenberg and you know all that like thinking about like all these interesting ways that uh, technology and humanity converge and where things are headed and yeah the the trans reading of the whole story is i think uh, a really interesting way that uh you know this movie can be read and there's so much packed into this movie that like you know it, it's really kind of interesting that there's so many different things so many different threads happening but yeah the matrix is a great piece to include here and uh, a great uh, setup for my next piece actually because uh, i was going to talk about the aliens series um you know the especially the artwork you know you're talking about the design like that that tool that she's using and you know we talked earlier about that weird chair and you know all kinds of weird technology in this movie um a lot of it just feels you know a lot like the hr giger you know artwork that inspired the alien series all, all the uh the design of the the ships and and all that kind of stuff that really kind of meshes again like the electronic like technological type stuff with very almost human-like designs and uh is it's very kind of hard to place exactly you know where where our world would ever get to um having design like this but it makes for really interesting and unique uh you know locations and and, and sets another thing uh, aside from the actual technology they're using are are the locations actually where where they are everything just seems so run down and it just seems so obvious that 
humanity has just let shit go in, in this future. And whether that's because of all of the evolution happening and the mutation and all that, or if it's just, you know, people being people and we are pretty terrible, um, you know, maybe we just let shit go and that's all there is to it. But that also kind of, uh, th there's elements of that, I think, in, in many of the Alien movies as well. So uh, between The Matrix and Alien, I think you get a lot of that, um, the look of, of this futuristic world. Yeah, I think we've got a big chunk of the puzzle there because I, I've got Alien and Prometheus on my list. Nice. Um, even the, you know the the acidic, um, the acidic like not excrement, but the the acidic fluid that the boy secretes is sure. very similar to Alien. Um, and we have like the surgery pod in Prometheus. Yeah. And, uh, and questions about evolution and where did we come from i think mean, that's all there and my next one actually after alien was going to be blade runner mm. and blade runner 2049 so ridley scott um has got a lot to answer for with this film as well um and i think you mentioned there about how humans have really let the planet go and, and not looked after it i think it's a similar situation with blade runner um and you have a, a body of people or, or replicants who are much more better suited to survive in this environment, similar to the evolved mutants within crimes of the future, sure. who they can like eat plastic now and kind of live off plastic. And so we can kind of get rid of some of that waste. Um, <laughs> the, the replicants are the same kind of beings where they don't need the sort of organic matter that we do. And then moving on to Blade Runner 2049, you have a very similar story where something which is synthetic, um, like a replicant, gives birth naturally to a child. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Crimes of the Future, these people are making themselves evolve in that way. And then a child is born who has the ability, the natural ability to consume plastic and to be this evolved creature, human being, however you want to call it. And so then we have the savior story again. So we have the serious savior story with what we thought was K in Blade Runner 2049, but it wasn't actually K. It was um, Stellene, I think it was, or Stellin. Mm. Um, and in, in crimes, we think it's Brecken, the boy, but in actuality, it's Saul who, who could be the savior and could be this messiah type character who's going to save and is the natural offspring of synthetic and manipulated. Um, life forms yeah yeah i was trying to think uh, that's funny i guess blade runner 2049 might be the movie i was trying to think of i was trying to think of something fairly recent where uh something that wasn't human basically was able to give birth and uh, like that probably is the movie i was trying to think of and i just uh it, it was at the tip of my tongue but uh yeah yeah the it, i feel like a lot of times when talking about a movie where you can spot some alien influence there's gonna also be some blade runner influence i mean ridley scott in general yeah. you know so yeah absolutely talking about the plastics and eating plastics that leads me to my final puzzle piece actually um another kind of uh curveball possibly uh but speaking of that final scene where Vigo finally eats that plastic chocolate bar and uh you know we don't know exactly what's going through his head whether he's uh he's able to digest it and and he's happy or he's sad about like you know, are horrified that, that, that is what's happening. And, or, you know, or maybe, uh, he's proud of where, where he's at at that point. Either way, that chocolate bar, I thought of Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory because it is a very convincingly, 
amazing looking classic chocolate bar, even though it's made of some kind of synthetic plastic stuff that you will die if you're not evolved enough to eat it. Um, I kind of wanted to eat it, you know? Yeah, it looked delicious, didn't it? I, yeah. I, I give that a go. No, no problem. Yeah, it looked like um, we have these things called uh, Wham Bars over in, the, over in the UK, and they're basically, they must be made out of some sort of plastic, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but they, like, crackle and pop, and they're, like, chewy, and um, they look exactly like those bars, and I was like, hmm, I could really go for a Wham Bar right about now. Delish. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, they say that there's little bits of plastic and freaking everything now, and, you know, you were just talking about it while talking about uh blade runner but like i i do love like i i'm a little mixed on this movie overall like i liked it quite a bit but i'm also like not 100 percent sure on on some of the aspects of it but i love the idea of the plastic like i i love that humanity is obviously destroying itself with our you know overabundance of waste and especially plastic and like the fact that we would evolve to to eat that as a solution to that i mean isn't that what evolution is like in the grand like long-term scheme of things is adapting to our environments and uh you know uh survival of the fittest basically and so those people evolving uh being kind of like the savior characters of humanity it's it's a really interesting place for the story to end on i feel like yeah and i just love a story where i think for the first 20 minutes i didn't have a clue what was going on yeah absolutely um, and I, you know to start I, I really love that where you where you can't grasp the world the characters what's happening what's that machine for there's so many questions and then it slowly just starts to make sense um and i, I and they're the ones that kind of leave the mark on me and, and i continue to think about and want to talk about for for kind of years to come and i'll definitely i'll definitely revisit revisit crimes um so i i have a couple of others but I, i'm gonna go for my i'm gonna go for my um my real oddball choice as my last piece all right um so my last one was the jungle book uh, from 1967 uh or you know whichever iteration of the jungle book you want to you want to go for because they're all fairly similar sure um so the reason why i've gone for that is it started off at a very simple thought that the brecken looks like mowgli um <laughs> <There> you go. <laughs> okay. he's sat in the water he's kind of picking away at like a natural habitat he comes inside he kind of hunches over he's got like the little shorts on and i was like okay well he looks a lot like mowgli sure and then i started to think about it more and more and thought about well jungle book to me is a lot about fear of upset of the status quo mm. you know Shere khan is just afraid of mowgli he's afraid of the threat that he poses of the advancement that um humans are making and how that can encroach on their own civilization and their own kind of um environment and ecosystems and he's terrified of that and so he wants to put a stop to mowgli and that means killing mowgli essentially he wants to put a stop to it um and I feel like crimes is a very similar thing where the threat is Brecken. Um, he's a threat because he um, represents all every fear that the government has about stopping people consuming, stopping people being kind of people who go along with whatever the government say and the status quo and the norms and all that kind of stuff. And so they must stop that at any, any kind of um, opportunity and yeah. any way that they can. 
And and that leads me on to my even weirder theory about Kristen Stewart. I believe Kristen Stewart is doing an impersonation of Car the Snake from the Jungle Book. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Wrapping it all up. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> she is the backstabber. She is the one who um, does the surgery and, and kind of um, betrays Saul and... and um, Leah Sedora's character, I think Clarice, I think, or Caprice, her name Caprice. is. Caprice. Um, she's got that serpent voice. Um, she can contort her limbs in, in, in very serpentine ways. And I feel like she is she's the kind of the snake in the grass. And I, I'm, and I would kind of like link her to that car character. And maybe if I try hard enough, I'll find a Baloo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. Maybe it's a guy with all the ears on him. I'm not too sure. Um, <laughs> he looks cuddly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, there's I love something it. to be said there. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, maybe I'm reaching with that one. But I could, I could definitely... Um, justify it if i really had to <laughs> well i i love it like you know just to to the the general point of of that fear and uh feeling that that it needs to kill the kid and, and like the the overreaction that you know humanity we always are constantly just overreacting to everything it seems like and so you know i i think that that really does kind of tie in in that way at least if if, if nothing else like although actually it's all very uh convincing but um you know if nothing else <laughs> the overreaction of of uh you know, of people in the future in in this world to what they're doing with their newfound abilities or newfound, uh, you know, evolutions, everything just gets so freaking weird. And it doesn't necessarily have to go that far in, into this strange, like, post-apocalyptic world. Uh, it, it really doesn't need to go that far, but that's what people do, you know? And so I think that's a good yeah. way to kind of tie that in. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that I got you on board with that one. I didn't completely lose you at that point. You just turned off. Love it. <laughs> Shut down your computer. Absolutely love it. So uh, I will read down our finished list here and uh, we'll get into some closing thoughts. But we, of course, talked about a bunch of Cronenberg movies. Uh, we had Existence, Videodrome, and The Brood in there. And there's a few mentions of some other stuff too. Uh, but then we got on to X-Men, Antiviral, My Kid Could Paint That, The House That Jack Built, Zoolander, The Matrix. Matrix, the Alien series, the Blade Runner series, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and the Jungle Book. A very wide-ranging list of puzzle pieces on this episode, for sure. But uh, th there's a lot going on in this movie, so I, I think uh, I think it makes sense that it would be such a uh, varied list, you know? But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Are, are there any, uh, any thoughts on this movie that you wanted to get to that we didn't quite get to while doing the puzzle pieces? No, I think we I think we covered most of that. I, I just think that uh, filmmaking and successful filmmaking is all about timing. And I think David Cronenberg has bided his time with this one. Mm -hmm. Um he's had it he's had it living and hibernating in there and perhaps he's had inspiration over those twenty years. And it's he's come up with a piece which is both nostalgic in the source, in, in the way he presents it, but also cutting edge meaningful uh and something which a lot of directors would absolutely strive towards and would be their best work yeah 
No, uh, ab- absolutely. Like, yeah, this is this is the kind of movie, you know, I feel like we're all constantly saying we wish there was more of right now. You know, it seems like, you know, obviously there's superhero movies and there's just the run-of-the-mill horror movies. And then it's like, what else? You know, <laughs> there's not enough other stuff <laughs> that like really explores interesting, uh, you know, ideas like this. And, you know, even if the story is a little confounding and maybe on first viewing, uh, you're not going to quite get every last detail. It's interesting filmmaking and that's that's what we've been craving lately you know and uh so yeah i i think it's definitely uh successful um when it comes to that so yeah i think that does it for crimes of the future uh alex is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners um yeah i watched a movie um called blue jay fairly recently um i'm a big fan of mark duplass uh i think he's a, a real kind of pioneer and and spans the genres and um blue jay is a really lovely and short 90 minute film about two high school lovers who parted ways after an event and then find each other again and it's really beautiful and uh it will it will leave you kind of uh with a warm heart and thinking about your own past and i think that is a it's a really nice reflective film awesome yeah i i like a lot of Duplass stuff but i don't think i've seen blue jay so uh, i'm gonna have to look that one up so uh awesome great alex why don't you tell people again where they can find you and uh, everything you're up to sure yeah um so you can follow me on twitter if you want to uh under at cronen words so k-r-o-n-e-n words um as i said i write for a, a number of websites including moving pictures film club horrified and lovehorror.co.uk um, and I've just got a piece out about Stephen King and the most traumatic moments in Stephen King adaptation. So check that out if you're, if you're into Stephen King. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I'm really happy that we finally got to do this. I know we had discussed talking about a couple of other movies over the last like six months or so. We've been trying to get you on, but uh, I, I'm happy to finally have you on the show. I uh, hope you had a good time doing it. Oh, it was so much fun, David. Uh, anytime, anytime. Man. Serena over there and that's Naomi and we are the hosts of Weird Mythic Podcast. Yes we are. Our show Weird Mythic covers stories about cryptids which is what brought us together to create the show but we also like to talk about anything paranormal and strange that happens in the world. We post episodes every Sunday on different topics and we would love to have more listeners. We're on all podcast platforms and you can find us on all social media sites as well. Give us a listen, send us some personal stories to share on the show and we will love you forever. Yes, we will. We would love some personal stories, some cryptid encounters, and we hope that you listen and tune into the show. You can listen to Weird Mythic Podcasts wherever you get your podcast fix. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about crimes of the future. Thank you to Alex Cronenberg for joining me on that one, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you're enjoying what we do here on Piecing It Together, make sure to rate and review on whatever podcast app you are listening on, and of course, make sure you're subscribed. If you happen to be listening on Good Pods, which a lot of you are, and I really do appreciate that, uh, they do have a little comment section per episode where you can drop some comments. And uh, if you thought of any interesting puzzle pieces for Crimes of the Future that you think we might have missed out on, 
uh, drop some comments with some puzzle pieces. I will read them on the next trailer episode. And uh, I always love hearing from you guys and hearing about any puzzle pieces you think that could have been on an episode. Uh, also, always looking for new guests. So get in touch. Uh, I'd love to have you on sometime. That does it for today's episode. Make sure you're subscribed. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget about that produced by David Rosen Patreon. I told you about it at the top of the show. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Sign up. Lots of great stuff over there. So I'm going to close this out with a piece of music. And I know I've played this song many times over the years as the closer for episodes of Piecing It Together. But if you're going to talk about crimes of the future and all of David Cronenberg's body horror and cutting into all these human bodies and pulling out organs and blood dripping and all this stuff, I got to play Cut Open from my album, An Unseen Sky. Uh, this track is the only logical choice. So we're going to go with Cut Open, even though I've played it before. Hope you enjoy it. An Unseen Sky is available on all of the major streaming services and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so go check out the rest of the album and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.